Welcome to the Community HealthCast. I'm your host, Deborah Raddall, here with Elizabeth Bailey, our board coordinator and podcast editor extraordinaire. How are you today, Elizabeth? I'm just swell, Deborah. How about you? Not too bad. So we've got some special folks with us today. Do you want to tell everybody who else is here? I sure would. Joining me today as co-host is the lovely Lauren Inglis. Lauren is a grade 12 student at LRHS and is a member of our Queen's Community Health Board. Thanks for working together on this, Lauren, and hosting it with me. I'm excited. How about you? Yes. Hi, Deborah and Elizabeth. I'm excited to be doing this podcast with you today. This is my first one, but probably not my last. I was happy to have the opportunity to propose this podcast idea about highlighting mental health supports during our board meeting a few months ago. And Lauren, we're really super happy that you did, because as our youth member, you have a really unique perspective, and this is an important topic. How about you introduce our real guest today? Sure. Our guest is Erica Kirk. She is the guidance counselor at LRHS. Thank you for talking to us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Welcome, Erica. It's really nice to have you back again on the Community Health Cast. All right. So we've been back to school for a few months, and I think we're getting used to things. How have you found the transition back to school? What do you see happening, and what changes have you noticed in students? It's been an interesting start to the year, that's for sure. And I think some of the challenges around it have been that we were out of school for quite a while and we got accustomed to changing the way that we go about our daily lives. And then all of a sudden we're thrust back into some kind of normalcy. I guess I would use that term lightly, but some kind of routine. So I would say overall, the transition back to school was stressful for everybody. And when I say everybody, I mean students, teachers, the staff who work in the building, but also parents and families in general, because there was a lot of apprehension around what is this going to look like? What are the nuts and bolts day-to-day stuff? What are the risks inherent in coming back and people being in a building together with the virus? So I think there was just a lot of unknowns and there was some things that couldn't really be answered until we actually got into the thick of it. But that being said, I think for the most part, the transition back to school went a lot more smoothly than maybe we had initially anticipated. And I think that also, you know, students and their families and the staff, we're all doing the very best we can to maintain public health guidelines and adjust to this sort of new normal but also try to get back to doing some of the things that we enjoy doing as a school and being in relationship with each other. So I think in terms of what I've noticed um, in my work at the school is that there is a bit of an, a heightened overall sense of anxiety. And that's particularly because of some of those unknowns and what next and all the hypothetical situations that we sometimes find ourselves daydreaming about. And it's also a change, another change on top of many changes. And it's a change to our routines, and we often find comfort in those. So, I mean, I think we get frustrated with some of the restrictions about having to wear masks and only being allowed to be in certain places at certain times and social distancing and all that good stuff. But I don't think that we're unique in that. School, like everywhere else in society, has had to make these major adjustments to the way that we conduct our routines. So we do the best that we can. And I feel that, you know, we're experiencing some social drain, but that's to be expected after nine months of being in kind of this limbo, right? You know, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon, but 
I've noticed an increase in access of services here, I think. And what that tells me is that a lot of students over the closures weren't able to access mental health services. So when we came back to school, I kind of expected that I was going to see more students. And I would say the severity of some of the things that I'm addressing has increased somewhat. But I also think it means that students are more aware maybe of what is available in terms of supports to them than I had thought initially. So there's some silver linings in there. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I completely agree with what you were saying about how it was it was so different coming back to this regular schedule of doing things at school and activities and all of that, because there were so many months where there was this uncertainty, there was this uh, not doing anything really, and now having to go back to having everything structured. I know a lot of people, including myself, we felt quite worried about it. But I feel like with what you have there for everyone, with the resources, with the presentations, with all those kinds of things, I felt that's really given people a chance to think, well, do I need this? Then maybe I can go get the help. And I think that now that COVID has happened, they feel even more of the, well, maybe I should get help if I need it. We all are struggling with uh, COVID and the changes in our own ways. And for some folks, it's harder than others. And knowing that it's sort of a universal makes that barrier of stigma a little bit less. And I'm also a more familiar face than I was at this time last year, since I've been at the school now for a full year. So I think that that raises people's comfort with me. They kind of know me a little bit better. The one thing I do see and hear a little bit more, which concerns me as a school counselor and as a parent and as a community member, is that I do notice that some of our youth are adopting unhealthy coping mechanisms for stress. And then I'm hearing about those more. And I don't know if it's that they're happening more. It's just that people are more comfortable sharing with me in a confidential space some of the things that they're doing to manage their stress. You mentioned the assemblies. So one of the ways that I've been trying to do that is being more present in the school in a variety of capacities. So having many assemblies about kind of controversial topics that maybe make people uncomfortable that need to be addressed and making sure that students know where they can access supports and doing that in sort of unique ways, like putting stuff in bathrooms and putting stuff on Google Classroom and just doing the podcast, trying to get the message out there that there are a lot of supports out there. It's not just me. So if people aren't comfortable seeing me, that's okay, as long as they know where else they can access support. So really, I think it's it's about advocacy and promoting the materials for students so that they can access them when they're able and ready. Right. I think that's such a great thing that you're doing. Uh, what are some resources you believe might be useful for students dealing with mental health issues during COVID? Well, I would say that the resources that are there for mental health, they're there for COVID, but they're also there for the rest of the time. And I think that it's not that I'm trying to introduce new or novel things. I think I'm just trying to cast the net a little bit wider so that students are able to know that these are things that are consistently available. So obviously, you know, there's me as a school counselor at the school who brings some expertise in mental health services. And students can access me in a multitude of ways. It's not just, you know, popping into my office or making an appointment to see me in person. As a result of COVID, I have access to telehealth, which is counseling through Zoom. And it's a confidential platform because I have a licensed version of Zoom. 
So if students, for some reason, can't be at school because they're dealing with some mental health issues, there is the option of accessing my services that way, which is like your doctor, right? Like if you make an appointment with your doctor, a lot of times now, if you don't have to go in for something urgent, you can talk to them on the phone or you can talk to them through telehealth. At school, it's not just me and student services. There's a bunch of different agencies working out of our school. So there's mental health and addiction. So we have a trained mental health clinician who works in our school once a week, a couple times a week. And students can access her services by self-referral through central intake. So there is a phone number that people can call, anybody actually, who is of the age of consent. So anyone over the age of 13 If they would like to get the assistance of a mental health clinician, they can call this 1-800 number and they do what's called an intake process. So they talk to a person on the phone. It's about a 45-minute conversation and they ask you all kinds of questions about you. And then they set you up with a choice appointment where you meet with someone either virtually or at the Dawson Center or at school. And you go through a process of determining what kind of services you'd like to access. So that's an option. And that's not just through schools. I mean, at school, it's nice because if students want to see this clinician, they can see them at school without anybody knowing, right? It's a confidential process and they don't have to go to Bridgewater to access it, which is great because in Queens County, you know, we sometimes wonder if there's accessible services here. They can also go to Bridgewater to Dawson Center if they wish. We also have Schools Plus here at Liverpool Regional High School. And Schools Plus is sort of an interagency supporting group. They're, they're staff that work with the region, the school region, but they coordinate with all the external agencies that are available in our communities. So justice, mental health, recreation, schools. And what they do is they support families and students in accessing services and getting around and navigating those systems. So we have two clinicians who work in our school in the office right next to mine. And students can self-refer to them as well. So if they feel like that's a support that would be helpful to them or their family, and they maybe have a complex case where they're involved with justice or health or all these other departments, that's an appropriate referral. And they can do that. They can just walk into that office and say, hey, this is sort of what I'm dealing with. Do you think you can help me? We also have a student support worker here at the school who works with Indigenous and African Nova Scotian youth. And she's phenomenal at what she does. And she, again, is a resource who can connect students to mental health supports. In my presentations that I did with the students in October around uh, suicide awareness, we talked about the importance of what to do in a crisis. And each student was given the opportunity to take a picture of a slide that I put up with a list of phone numbers on it for mental health crisis. So there's the mobile mental health crisis line that if someone is having an emergency, a mental health emergency, They can call this number and the mobile crisis unit will either come to you or they will get you to safety. There's also Kids Help Phone. So again, you can text Kids Help Phone, which is really awesome because a lot of students right now are very engaged in texting or messaging or in social media and it's an accessible medium for them to access help. So if you're not a person who's comfortable talking on the phone to somebody, but you're more comfortable texting, it's a way to access mental health support especially if you're experiencing a crisis. The other option is family doctors. Sometimes we forget that our family doctors are trained in supporting people with their mental health as well, and they also know how to make referrals and who to refer you to if you have a specific need that they can't address themselves. So I think sometimes we forget that as teenagers over the age of 13, 
we have the ability to call our family doctors ourselves and make appointments on our own without necessarily involving anyone else. Although I always encourage youth to keep their parents in the know because your parents have been in your shoes at some point in their lives and they care about you and they want you to be well. And sometimes letting other people in our lives know about what's going on with us is a step towards getting some help. And having a network of people in your life who can support you when maybe you're struggling with something is good because that way if you're not doing well and you're not necessarily seeing it, the other people in your life who know you very well might be able to help you. As you know, I will be graduating this year. What advice do you have for those graduating who have an uncertain future as to how the pandemic will be next year? My biggest piece of advice to grade 12 students this year, and I just want to note that my daughter is also in grade 12, so I have a very intimate connection to all of this. My advice to you is to keep going. Don't let COVID-19 and the situation that we find ourselves in prevent you from pursuing your passions and doing what you intend to do, because we don't have a timeline, right? We don't know when this is going to end. For a lot of reasons, I think that this is going to continue to be the norm. And I hear students say, I want to go to this place, but I don't want to go if it's online learning, because I don't like online learning. And unfortunately, the way the world is digital, we're evolving and Everything is becoming more online anyway. And I think this is COVID situation has kind of facilitated that shift in our learning and moving into more digital platforms. And I think you have a passion and you know what you want to do. The format in which you engage in it, yeah, it's important, but it's not everything. And I think that we don't want to sell ourselves out or cut our, our opportunities short because we're hesitant or we're waiting for this to all end and things to go back to the way they were. Because I don't know if that's going to happen. I think if anything, the pandemic's shown us how resilient we are. The world is changing and evolving, and we need to evolve and change alongside it. At the end of it, we have a choice about the attitude that we kind of want to adopt and how we want to pursue our, our life. And if we get stuck in this holding pattern, the world's going to keep going, but we're going to be stuck in one spot. We have the opportunity to control our future regardless of what COVID throws at us or anything else for that matter, because there's always going to be something else. Learning also takes place in a lot of different settings, and it's not just school or university or college or an apprenticeship. Learning happens everywhere we are, more so than the formal setting that we find ourselves in. I think we learn from the relationships we have with other people. Those relationships can happen in a whole lot of different ways. Like right now, we're having this relationship over a uh, Squadcast podcast, right? So I think there's value in those things. And I don't think we have to get too hung up on how it happens, but just the fact that it is happening. And that's important. You know, so pursue your passions. And if you don't know what these are, there's lots of resources out there to help students and people figure that out. There's me, your school counselor. There's co-ops through the school. I can't speak highly enough of Mr. White and the co-op program, the O2 program and Ms. Broadbent at our school. It's phenomenal the stuff that's happening at our school in terms of the opportunities that students have to explore career paths and be out there doing those things to really figure it out. Like, is this what I want to do with myself? We have a Nova Scotia Works school liaison at our school. And then we are part of a pilot project with Nova Scotia Works. And at Liverpool Regional High School, we are very fortunate to be part of this pilot because not every school in our region is part of this pilot. It's just us in North Queens. And North Queens has just recently been added. And part of that pilot is that we have somebody who has expertise in career pathways, programming, job market, 
all this stuff that pertaining to work and post-secondary coming into our building and sharing that wealth of knowledge with our students for free. The other option is we have My Blueprint, this digital format to help us figure out we can do some quizzes to find out what our passions are. We can take some surveys to figure out what courses we need to take to pursue those passions and then how we turn that into a career. And if that career is something that will sustain us and give us some income and ability to be self-sufficient. What advice do you have for those who are continuing school in the next few years? Keep doing what you're doing and don't get discouraged. It's easy to get discouraged sometimes, you know, when it seems like everything's doom and gloom, but really like you have to flip that script and just kind of poke holes in it and just say, you know what, no, Lisa, there's good stuff happening here too. You've managed to get this far. You just got a little farther to go and it's one day at a time. Before we wrap up, what have you learned most during this global pandemic while working in schools? What do you most want people to know? I think people are more adaptable and resilient than they give themselves credit for. And it's important to use this unique time to kind of reflect on things that are really important to us, like our relationships and our self-care and our health. And attending maybe to the parts of ourselves that we've neglected because we've been really busy doing stuff. I think we need to focus on our strengths because we all have them. And maybe that's what this time has done for us, has helped us figure out what our strengths are and focus on what we can control and let go of what we can't. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of this that we can't control. I want people to start practicing a little more self-compassion and maybe showing a little bit more empathy and perspective taking. Be the change in the world that you want to see. I want people to be kind. It doesn't cost anything to be kind. Exactly. And I think a lot of the things that you've said in our presentations, all those things, the resources you've listed, people will listen to that, especially now during these times. Thank you for your great resources and advice. Elizabeth, are you able to put that on our Community Health Board Facebook page? I'll take all of the resources that Ms. Kirk recommended to us today and list them on our page, Queen's Community Health Board. Great. Thank you. Ms. Kirk, I'm very happy that you had time to join us today. Well, I really appreciate you having me on the Community Health Board HealthCast again. It's always wonderful talking to you. For more information on today's topic, please visit our Facebook page, Queen's Community Health Board, or call me, Elizabeth Bailey, at 902-350-0478. Thanks for listening, and tune in next time to the Community HealthCast.